Welcome to Everyday Nonviolence, Extraordinary People Speaking Truth to Power. This podcast is developed by Friends for a Nonviolent World, FNVW, whose mission is to champion nonviolence as the foundation for effective programs and actions to promote the dignity of every living being. Violence impacts us all. Our goal here is to give voice to people who are working to use active nonviolence those who have experienced violence, and those who have committed acts of violence. Each week we'll hear stories that will deepen our understanding of violence and the principles of nonviolence. Our host today is Joanne Perry, a longtime activist and lifelong pacifist. Welcome to today's podcast for the Friends for a Nonviolent World. We have an exciting visitor today, Maggie Hohenstein, who comes to us from McAllister College, a small private liberal arts college in St. Paul, Minnesota. Maggie is an intern at the Friends for a Nonviolent World this summer. She's getting ready to depart for Libya to educate herself and to learn about social change in a culture that she is, has very little awareness of yet. She is throwing herself kind of right into the teapot that's boiling away. Maggie has agreed to be interviewed today and to talk about her life and her journey toward pacifism and her commitment to social change through active nonviolence. Welcome, Maggie. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I was, we were talking earlier about growing into pacifism and how you came to believe or to live a life that had intrinsic to its nature the principle of doing no harm. So I think the main thing for me was that I was raised in the Quaker tradition and I was in the care of Frankfurt Monthly Meeting in Philadelphia. And so for me, nonviolence was always taught in that form of Quakerism and holding people in the light and taking care of them um, because simply because they were human beings. I don't have one moment where I can remember being introduced to the idea of nonviolence. It was sort of something that was constant in my background. But I do remember moments from my childhood where it became a choice and where it was something that I was aware of having to step into. Um, and although it was always there and it was always around, that ability to make that decision was something that I remember realizing. You told a story yesterday about being a very young woman. I think you were in third grade or so when this incident occurred. Would you mind telling the story? So when I was in elementary school, there was 10 people in my class. And there was sort of a core group of us. Within that core group, there was only uh, one person of color. And she was one of my two closest friends. She got bullied a lot while we were young. I remember finding out that she was being called names because of her race and that at one point she reacted pretty violently to this bullying and she ended up punching someone. And I wasn't there for this incident. I just remember being told about it. I also found out that she had gotten some pretty severe discipline because of her actions. I think the boys who were bullying her also got some discipline action, but not to the same degree. And I remember being very confused and a little indignant. I wish she hadn't punched him, but I 
also wish they hadn't been mean and trying to piece together where the violence was in that situation. And it turns out there was a lot of it. But I remember after finding this out, I was very cautious and aware of their relationship and being very present when the two of them were interacting so that if something else were to occur, I could step in and try to stop the violence that happened. That never ended up occurring, or at least if it did, I didn't see it. But I remember being very ready and making that choice as a, as a third grader to step in if I saw something happen. That's a lovely story. It says to me that you had been working on the thoughts, if not consciously, for quite a while, to be willing to step into what could be a violent situation at a very young age. But you have grown up in the post-9-11 world. It is a different world than the one I grew up in, which was quite a while before that. <laughs> you have also been living in an era of the U.S. having a standing army. You've been living in the era of the U.S. going into two wars. And in addition to that, we're still involved in one of them, and we're dealing with the consequences of the other one that we walked into. And during all this time, from your point of consciousness as a young young woman, a teenager, we've also been deciding what's going to happen in Syria as far as the U.S. is concerned, where our limits and where our duties lie. We are always on the brink of war with Syria. All that covered, I want you to think back, if you can, to how this might have impacted your interactions with people or how people interact with themselves. Is the language taking more into account that we are always in a state of war? Are the choices you're making influenced by the fact that you don't actually know a peacetime period? I think to start, I'm going to say that my earliest memory of being politically aware was also about in third grade. It was at the time of the Bush-Gore election. We were talking about the election in class, and my teacher was explaining a little bit about how politics worked. We were in third grade, so just a little bit and was going around the room and asking students who they would vote for if they had the choice. So sort of to help get us thinking in that political mindset. Many of the students, if I remember correctly, all of them except for me, gave their reasoning of choosing whichever candidate as because that's who my parents are voting for. And I remember being very proud of having a different reason. And so when it got to me, I said that I would vote for Al Gore because Bush had started the war. Beyond that, I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> I didn't know which war, I didn't know where or why. I just knew that he had started a war and that I wasn't okay with that. So thus, <laughs> I had to choose the other candidate. But I think that that exemplifies the idea that war has been a very profound thing in my view of politics and my view of different candidates. When someone is supporting wars in certain ways or acting in that way, it's really telling for me. There are like a couple of core topics that I look at when I'm looking at candidates and war has definitely always been one of them because it's been so prevalent. I imagine in your life you have yet to be in a war zone. Bolivia will be very interesting. It is not in a war zone, but it will have people who have survived it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the career that you are working toward right now 
and maybe how it will play out in Bolivia. What do you hope to learn there and what do you hope to impact? So I'm currently a math major at McAllister College and have no idea what I want to do with that because I also have this deep goal of being a social activist and taking care of the world in certain ways. And I feel like a lot of careers in mathematics don't have that mindset. But I like math for the way that it tells stories and the way that it can explain the world around you. Partially what I'm hoping to do in Bolivia, because I won't be doing a lot of math, is find ways to bring math to other situations and look at the world through that social justice lens and then bring along my skills um, in the like logical thinking, mathematical mindset. That's something that I'm very excited about when I'm in Bolivia, is being able to look at the world through a different perspective. Because for the past two years that I've been at McAllister College, I have been focusing much more on my math classes and getting work done and doing things. And, and this will be a chance to actually participate and learn from the world instead of learn from a classroom. So I'm not sure what exactly I wanna do with my life, but I know some of the things that I want to piece together. Hopefully I'll find a way to make a career out of that. Social activism is a huge field with many, many rivers in it and tributaries and small details, but inherent in it are the people that are involved. As a pacifist, as a believer in active nonviolence, tell me, how do you envision yourself functioning um, as a social activist? You have people who are already conditioned and already enmeshed and already believing in something that you may not believe in or you may not see the point of or may not work logically. How do you see yourself bridging those gaps and making those connections? I think for me a big part of being a pacifist or a believer in active nonviolence is being able to bridge those gaps and being able to listen when things are hard or when people's beliefs don't line up. And that includes when they don't line up with mine. Being able to take that space and time to give those differing opinions attention. I think that that is something that is possible in any career choice and is something that I hope to find moments and chances to do in my life. I've had a hard time with that thus far simply because I've grown up in a liberal city and a liberal religion and with a liberal family and now I'm at another liberal city <laughs> in a liberal college and so I, I have been in this sort of bubble where many people's opinions do agree with mine and maybe not to the extent I know a lot of people don't have the same pacifist beliefs that I do but I hope that when it comes time for me to be in other situations where I am more of an outcast, I can use my ability to listen and to care, to hold on to my own beliefs of pacifism and taking care of people and actively doing no harm while still listening to what someone else has to say. Because I, I think that those are very intertwined. One of the challenges of really listening, of active listening, is that you stand the risk of being changed. It's a horrible, magnificent, and monumental hurdle to cross. 
How do you see yourself handling that? What happens when it starts to make sense to you, the other side? Partially because I've learned nonviolence in the Quaker tradition, I associate understanding with believing. Being able to understand where someone else is coming from and their point of view doesn't mean that I agree with them. And I have thought through my own beliefs and I understand why I have them. I do hope that some of them change at some point. I'm 20. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. There's space for me to grow and change and understand those beliefs. A big part of me hopes that this active, nonviolent, pacifist part of me doesn't change, and I don't think that it will. But if I come to a world where that makes more sense to me, then that's what happens. I don't think that it'll come through simply understanding a different side. I think that it'll have to be an internal shift that I choose to make. You have been an intern now at Friends for Nonviolent World for several months. Friends for Nonviolent World is, for the most part, the outreach program of the Quakers here in the Twin Cities. They support it. Uh, they give volunteers to it. It has been around for over 20 years now. I think it's even closer to 30. They have a variety of programs there. But as an intern, and you know, as a 20-year-old college student, you must have been drawn to Friends for Nonviolent World for a reason. Can you talk about any of the programs that resonate with you or, or maybe even stories of the activists that you found worthy to emulate? So I found Friends for a Nonviolent World while I was scrolling through McAllister's job board in about February, looking for jobs for the summer. And it stood out to me because of the word friends. And I was like, oh, that's cute. Like, it's probably Quaker, mostly as a joke. And so I clicked on it, and I was reading the website and very quickly found out that, indeed, it did have Quaker roots. I was sort of proud and excited that I had recognized it. So I, I kept looking at the job listing, and it was for storytelling and journalism. As I've said, I am studying math, but I like math for its storytelling capabilities. And so to see the word storytelling was really empowering for me. And I was like, yeah, like that sounds like something I want to do. It's got a community that I have connected with, but haven't really connected with in this place. It's got storytelling, which is something I'm deeply passionate about. It's got activism, which is something that since this past election, I've been particular, I've been interested in being a part of and sort of ticked a lot of boxes for me. And so I applied and have been very lucky in the way that my internship has played out because Friends for a Nonviolent World is a great place where I've been able to learn a lot just by the conversations that happen and have been doing a lot of critical thinking just based on the conversations that have happened. That's really important and exciting for me. We were talking yesterday about the policing initiative, which I don't remember the name of, and there was also the Alternatives to Violence Program project, excuse me, AVP. There were a number of other programs that you had mentioned yesterday. Do you recall? So the policing group is called Bridging the Divide, Community Policing That Works for All. And it's focused largely on making both police communities feel safer by creating better training programs and systems and doing a lot of research in that context, and also making community groups who are largely impacted by police violence feel safer. 
And so that's why it's called Bridging the Divide, is that they're trying to fill in that gap. And I think that that's really important and comes from a very pacifist point of view of sort of, I want to be here to ease the tension in a healthy and supportive and growing way. I don't want to just like let things go, I want to make them better. And so I'd love to continue doing work with them when I come back from Bolivia in January. Other than that, you also mentioned AVP, which is the Alternatives to Violence Project, and I'd love to have a chance to do one of the workshops. So AVP does, within our state, we do workshops in prisons, and they focus largely on community building and nonviolent conflict resolution. I have been thinking about that and those opportunities a lot because they've shown up during my time at FNBW. Those are things that I feel like I've I've had the chance to explore and be exposed to in my life, but I haven't had that sort of like concrete chance to learn. And so I'd really like the opportunity to do that as well when I come back. That should be very good at it. Backtracking just a little bit, you talked about math as a storytelling device. Can you tell me a little bit about what you mean, or even an example of how math can be used as storytelling? So my favorite example, I took a class the second semester of my first year, and it's been my favorite class thus far. It was called Discrete Mathematics. Discrete math, the way I explain it, is the sort of problems where you have, like, three shirts and two pairs of pants. How many outfits can you make? So it's that sort of, you have a process, and you're given a process. How many options do you have? How many ways can you complete that process? The most amazing thing to me in discrete mathematics is that oftentimes the form of your answer tells you more than the numbers themselves. So if you have an answer that says maybe two to the fourth, that tells you that you made a choice between two options four times. But if you have an option that says 16, which is the same as two to the fourth, All you know is that you have 16 options. You don't know how you got there. You don't know what happened. And so to me, that difference of just being able to structure things in a way that tells a story and it tells you how you got to where you are, that's amazing. And I'm not sure how exactly to build on that, but I think I'm going to find some ways. I recently read a book called... uh... The Righteous Mind, I believe, by Haidt, H-A-I-G-H-T. And in it, he explains that most decisions are made by the emotional body. And the rational body is basically there to justify the emotional decision. I'm hearing you hoping for a different world and different mindset than the one he describes. Do you have any reaction to that? I think there is a lot of hope there for me, but also when I hear it in those words, I know that it's not going to happen. I have always had a hard time making decisions, but know that when it does happen, it's largely based on emotions. And I think, I think that does kind of make sense to me because a lot of this pacifism and this act of nonviolence that I have is based on emotion and it's based on this like need to care for people and this, this want that everyone be safe and happy and comfortable. And I know that that's a little too extreme, and I think all emotions are worth having, and I, I don't wish eternal happiness on anyone. That sounds like too much. But, yeah, there is definitely a desire to 
to want to be able to explain things and to want to have that logical process and that ability to sort of combine these emotional decisions that I'm making in a way that fits logically. Actually, I would translate your talking about providing warm, fuzzy fairnesses and goodness for everybody as maybe an emotional overlay, but I hear you living a life of principle. I mean, even from third grade on, you were willing to explore what's right and what's wrong and know, at least in your heart, that there, causing harm is not the way you are going to go. So I'm going to ask you a question that's a little sideways on that. When you make a decision in your heart, are you thinking mostly in terms of how I am not going to cause harm? Or are you thinking in terms of I want to take care of somebody? I think in some situations it depends on the context. So when I'm working with people that I'm particularly close to, there is a much stronger desire to take care of them. But I think in general and with people that I, I don't know as well, I think there is more of a sense of I don't want to cause harm. And harm is something that I can I can avoid really easily because of my knowledge of nonviolence and so why not do that? Like it makes more sense. Well, we're getting kind of to the end, but I was wondering if you could tell us a time that you fell short of being the activist or the person who does no harm. And what should, what did you do? How did you treat yourself? Oh man, I could tell so many stories. I particularly in high school, had a really hard time understanding a lot of situations. And I went to a high school where there were, I think it was pro approximately 70% people of color. And so we, we talked a lot about race in high school. And I was thoroughly confused as a young white woman. I, I didn't understand the need to make space and the need to allow other people to, to talk about their experiences because I had a lot of angst and feelings and opinions and I wanted to share all of them. And I think there were a lot of instances where I, I took too much space. And although that's not a direct act of violence, I, I have since defined it as that. It's something that I've thought about a lot and I still have this sort of mentality of beating myself up over it and I should have known and I should have been better and I shouldn't have I shouldn't have done that but at the same time I've I've gotten to a point where I'm learning now and I'm able now to recognize that it was a problem and that it was something that I shouldn't have done so I want to focus more on that growth and while I I am still upset that those things happened and that I made those mistakes I think that it's more important to move on and to keep doing better and to, to take those moments of, of messing up and say, okay, well, it, it happened and I'm sorry and I won't do it again. Well, I know we're going to invite you back in four months or five months or six months, whenever you get back from Bolivia. We are really excited about this prospect and we're, the idea of what you may have learned and how it may have impacted how you think and how you view your life mission is really exciting. We really want to hear from you. Other than that, 
This is a program of the Friends for a Nonviolent World who can be reached at 651-917-0383. I want to encourage you that if you have moments and stories in your own life that you give us a call and ask to be interviewed on this podcast. We are really interested in moments of awareness of violence or what is not known as violence currently, but you have personally defined as violence, how you overcame it, moments of awakening, also moments where you don't think it would work. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to have you interviewed on our podcast. Again, please call 651-917-0383, or you can connect to us on the website, www.fnbw.org. Thank you. for listening to Everyday Nonviolence, Extraordinary People Speaking Truth to Power. To learn more about Friends for a Nonviolent World and the work that we do, please visit our website, fnvw.org, or give us a call at 651-917-0383. 